Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. (laughs) Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Claire. Today, I have a guest that I am over the moon excited to get to know myself personally, selfishly. We have not yet met in person. And then also just to kind of share some stuff that might be a little bit out of the realm of whenever I've looked up podcast content that he's got out there, I'm going to see if we can just push those boundaries a little bit. So I have with me today, Brett Contreras. Hello, Brett. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for saying yes. So real quick for anyone who doesn't know, which I'm sure you probably already do, but if you don't, Brett is best known as the glute guy. He is the inventor of the barbell hip thrust. He has been a coach in the fitness space for 26 years now. He has a PhD in biomechanics. Am I saying that correctly? Sports science biomechanics, yeah. Okay. And he's an online trainer. He has programs online if you want more information. He's got a lot of different programs out there. Sure, he has stuff that's specific for lower body and glute, but he has whole body programs available online. So if you want more from him, I'll have all that in the show notes and you guys can find that stuff there. How we met, we have not yet met. I simply was introduced to Brett, the Buttery Bros, which this is funny. This is the first time I'm telling Brett this. So you remember doing a piece of content with them? Yeah, they were here in my garage. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when they made that piece of content with you, that was actually, and that was what, like a year and a half ago, something like that? Yeah. So when they came and did that, that was actually the first time that I had heard of you. And so that was my introduction to you. And then from there, I now get the opportunity to train clients one-on-one and I have a client that has glute-focused intentions. And so I know that if I want to train my client optimally, I might as well go to an expert in that and see what they have to offer. And so actually I'm currently subscribed to your program and I pay attention to what you're doing because you've been defined as an expert in the field for a reason. And so I'm going to just pay attention to what you have to say and learn a thing or two from somebody who's done it over and over and over again successfully. So 
that's the how we met. (laughs) And from there, I just will say if anybody wants to consume more of that, that is all available. You can find so much about Brett online and about his training methodologies and why he thinks the way that he thinks. But we're going to go some different directions here as far as like the fitness landscape and who he is. So let's just get right into that. So Brett, who are you? How did you get here? I was an insecure kid, scrawny. I have a twin brother. We were so skinny. My grandma would put her hand around our arms, even up until I think maybe even, I know throughout middle school, she could literally go like this and her fingers would touch. And I remember the first time me and my friends started lifting weights. My friend's brother had a weight set and they would get down and bench the bar for like 10 reps and I couldn't do it for one. And they were like, give me all these pointers. And then finally they're like, I think there's something wrong with you. Why can't you lift this weight? I thought there was something wrong with my body. I was just so weak and scrawny. And when I was 15, I bought a weight set or I had my mom buy me a weight set. And around that same time, my dad, he had a universal machine in his condominium gym and I would use that. So that's how I got started in weight training, but I'm a studious person. I I love to read. And I think that's what I credit my success to is my love of reading because every single month, month in month out, I was reading every fitness magazine since I was 15, 16 years old and I devoured it. Back then there were the muscle mags. I didn't really have much else. Wait, so who was 15 year old Brett's idol? (laughs) It's a a funny story. I liked Arnold, but I liked Tom Platts because he had the best leg development. And then many years later, I tried to interview Tom Platts and he ignored me on Facebook. And then I was wondering why. And I looked at his Facebook page and it, it, he only had posted one thing fitness related. And it was this video by this other guy saying, basically, don't do this stupid hip thrust. They're, they're useless. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't get no. He thinks hip thrusts are stupid, but several of my idols have, I remember like, Hearing Lee Priest on a podcast, he was another guy idolized back in the day. And he's Australian, so he uses the C word a lot. But he's talking about women who only want to go train their glutes to get bigger. He's like, in my day, we did squats, we did leg press. You got bigger legs and glutes together. Now you got these women that just want their glutes to be bigger and they look stupid. And they're doing their hip thrusts. And it's like, you know, he's bashing the exercise. But it's a lot of my idols have gone to bash my exercise because it's Change is hard to accept for a lot of people. Like there was, it reminds me of this old skit on Saturday Night Live, The Grumpy Old Man. It was like, in my day, we did this in my day. And now I'm starting to get that way. And now as if we talk about social media, you'll hear me talking like that. Right, right. Which we're definitely going to. That's so funny. And it's so true. I've like been recently training in a new facility. And so for context for me, I've been doing CrossFit for six and a half years, right? And so now I do that a few days a week and I do a bunch of other things. And it's been so cool to be in a facility where people are doing so many different styles of training all the time. And like, you have to check yourself and be like, I don't need to judge what they're doing. Just observe what they're doing. They're doing it because at the end of the day, movement's medicine. And okay, they like to do it that way. That's cool. The way that I like to do it is sometimes too intense. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So like the reason why I started wanting to develop my glutes is because two different stories. Number one, I ever heard these girls, there were a few girls talking, I had a crush on, they were like the popular girls and they were like, let's go watch football practice. And after school, I love watching the guys in their football outfits. I love staring at their glutes. And I was like, oh my God, if 
glutes are important for girls that like you, then I'm going to be a 40 year old virgin. You know, I'm not, like, I, I need to figure out how to, I had nothing. I had nothing. And I remember my sister's boyfriend around that era, I was playing golf with him. We we're on the ninth hole. The last hole was only a nine hole golf course, but I was bending over to swing. And he's like, you know, Brett, you have no butt. He's like, your back goes right into your legs. On normal people, there's like a protuberance that juts outwards. Yours just goes straight into your legs. It's like you're missing that set of muscles. And I'm like, oh my God, like, how are you so comfortable talking about my, I call it WBS. (laughs) I I always say I have WBS, weird body syndrome. Like clothes don't always look good on me. I, I have a very weird shaped physique, but you're talking about this thing I'm very insecure about. And I remember just being like, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how to get glutes. The problem is like a lot of people, I didn't feel any of the exercise in my glutes. I do squats. I felt them in my quads, my low back. I do deadlifts. I'd feel my low back. I wasn't doing them with the best form back then. People don't realize like we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the web back then. There wasn't the internet and couldn't afford a trainer. So in my head, I thought I was using good form, but when phones became more prominent and well basically when people start bringing more cameras because remember like the flip cams those came before like the smartphones that had cameras we'd bring our flip- i was around then i do know what you're referring to yeah yeah for sure so, <laughs> you're probably like, happened, what are like, oh my god that's my form like i thought in my head i was doing them very differently but anyway i would do these exercises and i wouldn't really feel them that much in the glutes and So I remember when I invented hip thrust, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. But I did develop some decent glutes through squats, through deadlifts, back extensions, lunges, things like that. And when I was 19 years old, my cousin bought me this book. I have it right here on my (laughs) coffee table. The Complete Guide to Butt and Leg Development or whatever. I'm actually going to get it. It's right here. Yeah, go for it. The Complete Book of Butt and Legs. It's a really good book. This was written in 1995, and he got it this for me in 1995 for Christmas. And I remember I left the party and devoured it. And then it's funny because years later, I would write Glute Lab, which is this book weighs six pounds. This has everything in there. But it's, I said, why'd you buy me this for Christmas? He's like, because I've never met someone so obsessed with glutes. And I was 19 at the time. And now I'm 46. And my enthusiasm for glutes has never diminished one bit. It is so cool. So are you aware of any of those people that were your idols back in the day that originally were like, no, dumb, new, stupid? Have any of them by chance maybe started to incorporate hip thrusts or at least acknowledge that it actually is irrelevant? Do you know? It's still a problem. Bodybuilders don't train glutes. It's like male, male bodybuilders. It's a weird, you'll never hear them talk about it. The muscle magazines don't talk about glutes. They They say leg day. Every body part is okay except glutes. You train your traps. You train your all three heads of your delts. You train your triceps, your biceps, your pecs. You even have your upper pecs, your mid pecs, your lower pecs, your abs, your erectors, your lats. They'll even say like mid Well, there's so much more going on in your lower body. (laughs) Quads, hamstrings, calves, but they never mention glutes. It's this weird thing that's always existed to this day. I have this book, this other book here from 1924. (laughs) Super strength, and they don't talk. They mention all these other muscles. They don't talk about glutes. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is super strength by Alan Calvert. Got all, yeah. What's been really cool about consuming your information out there for me so far is just simply that 
coming from the sport of CrossFit. So I did not play any sports growing up. And so I was in my twenties before I started going to a gym and I didn't have proper air squat form, you know, like nothing was going right. Anyway, for years, coaches would say to me, like, you can see when you're squatting, you're not even using your glute. And it's true. I will rely on every other muscle other than my glutes. So I have to spend time before I do those movements. Now I have this mind muscle connection relationship where I actually understand that activation, but I have to spend time before warming them up and doing different things to like get them alive and ready to fire. And so that's been an interesting thing to come to understand that you actually need to focus that energy. But then also when I think about growing glutes from my perspective in the space of CrossFit for so long, you know, it's all this performance base. It's not like bodybuilding where it's like physique based, like your aesthetics matter. Whereas in CrossFit, it's how much can you do? It's a different style of training altogether and your motivations are different. Right. And so I never really cared how it looked, but then in doing more research, I'm like, hang on, but actually like powerful glutes, they're powerful. So it literally growing your glute, focusing on intentional movement with your glute is then in turn going to actually make you a more powerful athlete. Like, isn't that what you're trying to do? It's going to make you perform better. They were invented with performance in mind. I was watching a UFC fight, October 10th, 2006. Tito Ortiz is fighting Ken Shamrock. Tito's mopping the floor with Ken. I didn't want it to end so early. I didn't care who won. And I was like, when guys are on the ground, they should be bucking. They should be trying harder to buck the person off. And if they had stronger glutes, they'd probably do that. And I thought back to fighting my twin brother, <laughs> grappling with him our whole lives. That's what we do. You'd straddle the person, you'd get full mount. <laughs> and the other person would buck like crazy trying to get him off. But that's, I was watching a fight and I'm like, there should be an exercise to strengthen that motion. And I was like, I can't be like, hey, bro, come straddle me. I'm going to pump out a hundred reps, you know, like <laughs> that would not be socially acceptable. So I was like, how could you add load to this? But also it's a short range movement. How could you add range of motion? And ultimately what ended up was back on a bench, barbell with a thick bar pad and heavy resistance. And so that was invented with performance in mind. I remember when I started doing hip thrusts, I noticed I started taking longer, more powerful strides. Like I was walking uphill, I was getting my PhD at the time and I was taking like way longer strides in them. And I could have maintained that pace for 10 straight minutes. And they were like, geez, Brett, you're like, you take the longest strides. You're just powering up this hill. And it was easy for me. And I was like, God, I think this is hip thrust. When I started doing prescribing hip thrust back in 2006, I'd have clients come to me and say, you know, Brett, I'm getting faster and I'm not even running. And it's the hip thrust. And I'd say, well, how do you know it's the hip thrust? We do squats split squats, lunges, step-ups, you know, hinges, Nordic ham curls, glute ham raises, hip thrusts. We do all sorts of <laughs> movement patterns. Why do you start the hip thrust? They're like, well, I can feel on the ground. I can feel my glute working harder to push me forward. So that's what got me thinking about this force vector theory. And this is what ultimately drove me to get my PhD. I never planned on being a research professor. I just wanted to know the answer. I was like, what's the difference between squats and hip thrust? Well, squats are harder at the bottom when you're in deep hip flexion. Hip thrusts are harder at the top when you're in full hip extension. Took me a while to learn the biomechanical terminology. They have different hip extension torque angle curves. And so they're going to have theoretically different effects. And then the first training study ever done on hip thrust did show evidence in support of the force vector theory that Front squats led to greater improvements in jumping because you're going upwards, whereas hip thrusts led to be better improvements in acceleration because you're pushing forwards. And the 
theory is that with hip thrust, your chance to influence your speed is when your foot is on the ground. That's where you can exert force and you want to go faster. That way, you got to put more force on the ground that way. And that's been an interesting debate too over the years with if NASA were onto this, they'd figure out within a week. But we had these arguments about what's more important for sprinting speed, like vertical or horizontal force. And I'm like, obviously, if you want to go faster that way, you got to put more force on the ground that way. That's Newton's Newton's law, like one of Newton's laws. But it's been an f- interesting ride because they were, I would have never thought of them had I not had this love of glutes, number one. Number two, it was the strength coaches that were doing glute activation that you just talked about. They were doing low-load glute activation work. And I was reading this website back in the AT Nation. I read it every day. And all the strength coaches, the most popular strength coach in the world, all these guys, you know, Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, Mike Boyle, Mark Verstegen, Martin Rooney, all these guys are giving low-load glute activation work. And I thought it was stupid because I'm like, I go down and do a glute bridge. I can feel it. But a bodyweight glute bridge, I'm like, I could do this for 100. It's bang for your buck. You just want me doing 10 of these to wake up my glutes. And I'm like, I'd rather do this heavy. <laughs> like I don't know, cable pull throughs going, this feels great, but I, I have to pin an extra plate on the stack. And then I'm like leaning way forward to counteract it. But I felt it. Then when I got the hip thrust, I finally could load it up how heavy I wanted to and stay in a, back then we thought heavyweight was the only thing that grew your muscles. Now we have research that shows that all rep ranges grow the muscles equally as well, as long as you push it hard. Sure. Yeah. Confuse your body. I also got born out of the aspect of me wanting to stay in lower rep ranges because I hate high reps. I like six to 12 or like even with squats and deads, I don't like doing more than five. But anyway, I would have never thought of it had it not been for those strength coaches, had it not been for me always being on the search for an exercise that I really felt like my glutes were the limiting factor. When I do squats, I didn't feel like my glutes gave out and I couldn't do another rep. I felt like it was my quads. Deadlifts, I felt like it was my hamstrings or something else, just not my glutes. With this, with the hip thrust, I finally felt like the glutes are the limiting factor. But you're right. Crossfitters, I've, I've trained a lot of crossfitters in my day, a lot of high level ones. And it's weird. They're so used to the axial loading, all the squats, all the deadlifts, all the Olympic variations, all the jumping and the ball squats. We're hanging out in this plane. Hanging out in that. And sometimes you develop this pattern where you're overarching kind of, you're hyperextending your low back, your anterior, you're in anterior tilt, and you never develop that end range hip extension strength. I have a glute squad that I train out of my glute lab in San Diego, and they're very, very strong. Like we've got 335 pound squatters, uh, 405 pound deadlifters, but the average hip thrust strength out of, I think I made a graphic like two years ago out of 23 women, the average hip thrust strength was 550. I've got one who could do an, a legit 800 pound lockout, one who could do 700 pounds, like five more that could do 600 pounds. And then it becomes like hard. You got to program design is around letting the bruises on your hips heal, even with thick bar pads. It's so much weight, it leaves bruising and stuff. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. But the average hip thrust strength was 550. And then you go to these CrossFit people that I'm training and they have like a 320 pound high bar Olympic squat and decent deadlift. And then they're doing hip thrust and I can't even give them 135. They can't even do 220. They're doing 135 or even, I remember I had to go body weight with one of them and she'd get to the top and she'd be trembling, like just top of a body weight glute bridge. And so I'd get them stronger at hip thrust. And I think 
when you're stronger at end range, you naturally tend to use those glutes. The brain will naturally use muscles that are stronger. So they'll use the glutes more. It changes their form a little bit. Yeah. Well, and getting acquainted with using it too. I mean, I think that that's been a lot of it for me is intentionally training that muscle group and also just thinking about it in movements like the squat or even like just really being intentional with thinking about using it. It matters. And I think about too, with the practical application, as much as being able to hip thrust like 800 pounds, like that's so much, that's crazy. But I think about the practical application to her day-to-day life, to whoever that person is. And like, you're talking about the strides and so on. Like so many people just want to go on walks or hiking with their family or their friends or whatever. And like, so you could just take it all the way down to any consumer and the benefit that they're going to get out of doing a movement like that. And how like, now you're going to be able to be more comfortable and move better and just feel better going on a hike. <laughs> like who doesn't want to do that? There's the longevity aspect. If it changes, if it improves upon your form with squats and deadlifts, then the CrossFitters will benefit. They should be doing hip thrusts. There used to be this argument like things need to be done standing. This argument goes back to way back in the day when bench press was becoming popular. You know, bench press started becoming popular in the, the early 1900s. They would do it from the floor. They wouldn't do it from a bench. They do floor press variations basically. And then someone realized I can lay on a bench and actually touch the bar to my chest. And then there was this argument about why you got these guys artificially expanding their pecs and they should be doing functional movements standing like real men do, you know, like you do on the farm, you're standing. And it's always been this topic in strength coaching circles like, well, that's not functional because you're on the ground. But it's think of how many ground-based movements we do like. We like push-ups. We like Nordic ham curls. We like plank variations. We like hip thrust. But hip thrust, because they rose to popularity so fast, they got so much criticism. And people would go, well, that's not functional. But then some of the studies are showing that with beginners, it'll improve your squat just as much as squats do. You'll have a squat group and a hip thrust group. And some of the studies show that the squat gains improve similarly between the two groups. But it goes to show you that you strengthen hip extension. It does good things for all the hip extension-based movement patterns. You have that longevity aspect, and then you have that, that aspect of a lot of people's goals. And it's you look at the elderly, you look at obese populations. It's like obese populations, have them do 20 glute bridges. That's hard. <laughs> have them do 20 body weight hip thrusts. That's hard. With the elderly, they can do hip thrusts right away. It's not like squats where you got to have them box squat and just go shallow and increase depth over time. They're very valuable movements that everyone should include in their arsenal. Right, right. Well, and so when you've dealt with for literally decades now, adversity with these ideas that you have had, and it sounds like through a lot of education, like you've done a ton of research, you're a total nerd (laughs) who just so happened to have specialized in this thing for sexy people. And you did it because you wanted the performance. And then next thing you know, now it seems like your specialty has wound up being these women with these aesthetic goals, primarily not that you don't work with other populations. I'm sure you absolutely do, but that's a niche that is widely known yet. It all started from a performance perspective. And then I just think it's interesting with just thinking about how much adversity that you've had to face throughout all of that. Like, why did you, I mean, were you just that committed to like, this is good. This is worthwhile. I'm going to do it. Like, at some point, it would be normal for a lot of people to hit, be hit with so much adversity professionally and at some point be like, "This I'm not having fun with this. You guys are all being mean. And so did that ever phase you or does it phase you? Or do you just kind of like, I know based on research that what I'm doing is making a difference, so whatever. 
God, Claire, you have no idea. It's funny you saying that. You have no idea because if you're a pretty girl in the world, you get a lot of hate from, I've always, <laughs> sounds cocky. I've always dated attractive, at least they were attractive to me, but I would feel like they got penalized by their female bosses who were jealous of them being lean and pretty. It was like very obvious, but you're not allowed to say you're jealous. I can't say you're just jealous. All these dudes are just jealous of me because I'm literally the only coach who ever got an exercise this popular. Name an exercise, it's been around forever. Yes, there are certain movements that got somewhat popular, but none who have reached the status of the hip thrust. It's global, it's worldwide. Now there are machines being invented. Now these plate-loaded glute drive machines are popping up everywhere. It's the wave of the future. In 20 years, every gym's gonna have a hip thrust machine. It'll be as common as a lat pull-down machine because it works. I don't even think it's that far out. I mean, really, they're everywhere. Yeah, some depends what area you're in and what gym you're in, because some gyms, it's, so, it's like the most common exercise and you're like, God, everyone do it. And then you'll hear other people go, I'm the only one who does them in my gym, or I don't see anyone. It ma the environment matters. Like I've been to like an LA fitness that was so crowded. You, no one was, and they have no hip thrust machines, no area to hip thrust. You'd have to drag. It's just not even worth it. Right, right. And yet if you had one of those machines, it's spatially convenient as hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But well, I could say the same thing about CrossFit. CrossFit rose to popular so fast that everyone, if it didn't get so popular, all right, I can relate because now I'll see someone like, it's just a natural instinct. I'll see some guy with, I click on his profile on social media and he's got 2 million followers. I'm like, who's this idiot? <laughs> you know, this guy, you, you look at him, you judge. If he had a hundred thousand followers, I wouldn't judge him so much. I'd be like, yeah, this guy's got good stuff. But if they have more followers than me, then I'm like, hmm, you, you look at them with more suspicion. And like CrossFit, if it didn't get that, everyone would have been like, oh, cool, it's high intensity interval training or something. It's like a form of HIIT training that's functional. Cool, but it got so popular, all the strength coaches just bashed the hell out of it. And it didn't help with all those CrossFit fail videos that first were all over YouTube way back in the day. But the point is, when something gets very popular, it gets criticized and the jealousy, the haters come out of the... Now they're saying, I didn't invent it. And... I think that's a great parallel, yeah. I never heard that in 2006. When I did invent it, if it was being done, it would have been very awkward. Everyone would be like, uh, Brett, this is awkward. We're doing it here in this gym. Like it, it went around the world. When I introduced it, it was in a teenage article called Dispelling the Glute Myth. Everyone overnight heard about the hip thrust and people started doing it all over the world. In fact, when I went to New Zealand to get my PhD, it was some guy, he's like, hey, do you remember me? The very next day I was on the, back then in Teenage you used to comment on the articles, they'd have a forum and you'd answer all the questions and people were showing themselves doing hip thrust the very next day. And one guy did 405 pounds the very next day. I'm like, God, it took me a whole year to work up to that weight and you can do it right off the bat. He was like, that was me. Do you remember me? I'm like, yeah, I remember you. But overnight people were doing them and it was like 50% of people were intrigued. Like, wow, 405 pound hip thrust. This guy showing off him doing 405 pounds. But that was a bless, a double-edged sword because I think people took it seriously because they're like, this isn't some wimpy movement. This is a heavy loaded movement that's good for progressive overload. It kind of put it in the same category as squats and deadlifts and bench press and things like that, where you can load this up and it's a legit heavy compound movement. But on the other hand, this guy's not that jacked. 
He's using 405. I'm going to start off with 405. And they arch the heck out of their backs and they don't lock it out and they don't feel it. So they hate it right away. They try it once. They label it as being ineffective. They never locked it out. Got their glutes firing. If they would have started off with 185 for high reps, done pause reps with full hip extension on every lockout, they would have felt the craziest burn of their lives and they would have loved it. Yeah. Well, and with anything too, I mean, anything in movement, in, you have to give it time. You cannot know. I mean, just like you want to put on muscle, you have to probably up your protein intake most of the time and then also do resistance training. And you can't just get that overnight. Now, if you're relatively new to it, you're going to see results pretty quick. But either way, like all this stuff takes time. So if they're trying it out, like they need to continue to go through a progression with it, just like they would if they wanted to increase their back squat. They do a progression with that too, don't they? First time you deadlifted, it was probably very ugly and round back. I can promise you I did every movement really ugly. (laughs) But how did I deal with that? Your question was, how did I deal with it? Yeah, I take it personal. I still do. I've been around forever. And in my opinion, coming from, I was a high school math teacher for six years. I have my master's degree in curriculum instruction. And I honestly think that we should have courses in school, starting in grade school, in middle school about social media related, how to deal with, because no one teaches you how to deal with it, the hate. And some people can just brush it off. Some people actually like the drama. I hate the drama. I hate the negativity. I never mind when people ask me critical questions. I love it. If you come on and say, hey, Brett, do you really have to do hip thrust? What if you did this instead? Or what if you, do you really have evidence and they're respectful? I will answer anything. It's the trolls. It's the this weird, this new era of putting three crying face emojis with things and hitting LOL on everything. You're mocking. It's this passive aggressive mocking and this Dunning-Kruger effect. If you don't know what that means, Google it. The Dunning-Kruger effect, it's rampant around the world. It's basically the dumber, these two psychologists, Dunning and Kruger made up, they coined this term where they started observing that the dumber you are, the more you rate the higher you rate your own intelligence and the lower you rate other people's intelligence on a topic. Like if you're an idiot, you actually think you know more than the world's top expert about something. It's this bizarre phenomenon and it's rampant. It's rampant out there where you'll have someone who never even took a course. You'll have someone who's the world's expert on something. Like people would consider me the world's expert on glutes. I've published more studies, invented more exercises, changed that, created the whole niche. This niche wasn't around before me, this glute niche, and legit changed the way people train their glutes forever. And someone will come on who doesn't have a certification, never trained someone their entire lives, and they're coming on and criticizing me, but they're not even being like, they're like writing, laugh my LMFAO, crying face, crying face, crying face, and it's just this trolling industry. So you have your choice. You can let your feed just become... But to me, I like to curate my, I don't like all that. So I block delete, but if they're nice, they can ask me any question. They can disagree with me. I'll even say, thank you for being courteous. But just the trolling and the hating now with the people who say you didn't invent the hip dust, I'll go, oh my God. Oh, they'll be like, LOL, laugh my ass off. My dad was doing that in the sixties. And I'm like in the sixties. So no videos exist of people doing barbell hip thrust, but he was doing the sixties. And they always say this, Brett, no one had camera phones back then. 
like to say that is so egregious because it means you are such a moron. You don't even know the whole history. Like I said, I've got books from 1924. Right. They would have been writing about it. There would have been magazine articles, books, including books, pictures. You'd have seen it in Pumping Iron, people in the background of the videos, people would be doing hip thrusts. It was, it would be an Arnold's encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding. And so they're just, these people are just clueless. But it's, for me, it's like, why does it bother you so bad that I get credit with a hip thrust? It's like, it makes them upset. But I also think it's kind of like this hidden disease because no one knows you're doing it. If your family knew you had a problem with trolling, they'd have an intervention. They'd be like, hey, we looked at your social media. We found that you spend three hours a day bashing people. You've got this disease. We need to call it a disease. And I don't think I'm going to have a kid. I'm 46. I never did. But if I did have a son, I would be like, son, this is no way to live life. Like I go onto social media. I never think of being negative. I just never wrote a negative comment. I don't bash people. It's all just positivity. If I was on your, if I was looking at your social media and you hit a PR, even if you had crappy form, I'd be like, woohoo, good job, Claire. If you asked me, hey, did my form look good? Then I'd say, I don't think you locked it out or you didn't go deep enough or something. But I'm not going to be commenting like, LOL, half squat at best. And that's where we have to set those boundaries because the internet is not doing it for us. And so like, It is our responsibility. And I mean, mind you, you have a very large audience on there. And so I'm sure I cannot even imagine the volume of this stuff that is inboxed because of that. But just being like putting those hard lines of like, if people are just being hateful, just to be hateful, you do not get my energy. You do not get my time. I'm not doing this. And so I think that that's like with all of this. And then I think that this is a great moment to have to pivot into like, You started doing all of this work when you were largely writing papers, I guess probably, yeah, you were doing videos and things like that, but like social media 26 years ago wasn't really a thing. Whereas now you have had to navigate coming into the landscape of social media. And then even just within the past year, year and a half, how it's gone from photo being largely a lot of what was done to now everything is this short form video and we've got to grab your attention as quick as possible and hold on to it for a few seconds and hope for the best. I mean, all of this change with social media and like that is where your business is. So you have to find a way to work with it if you want to do it, which it seems like you want to. So what are your thoughts on navigating all of those changes? Yeah. Just what's your perspective on that? Yeah. So I'm really glad you asked this question. I'm a 46 year old PhD. I'm a scientist. I'm comfortable. Obviously I'm talking away here on this part. I'm comfortable in front, of a, in front of a camera. But back in the day when men's health sought out to interview the experts, they wanted to know if you owned a gym. You know, they'd be like Joe Dowdell, owner of Peak Performance in New York City. They wanted to know you owned a gym or you- Got people results. PhD CSCS. The CSCS is a certified strength and conditioning specialist from NSCA. That's the gold standard for strength coaches. And people knew- you just knew this guy's got a lot of clients. This guy trains a lot of strong people. This guy gets results. That's how it used to be. And it's, I've watched the shift completely from the experts are not going to be the best people at making reels. They're not going to be the most entertaining. So it's done a complete pendulum swing towards think about this. If I'm training clients, if I train clients for six hours today, that's six hours that I could have been making TikToks or reels. The advantage goes to the non-practitioner. So we are currently living in the strangest times in the history of mankind where the most popular people in every field 
are the people who are not practitioners within the field. In every field, it's probably the most popular chiropractor is not a real chiropractor. The most popular, in fact, my good friend is knows is roommates with the most popular chiropractor in the field. And he's quit doing chiropractic because now he just he just collaborates with other popular TikTokers. So even if you do get popular, then you stop being a practitioner in the field and you collaborate because then you can see even quicker growth. But if you're the most popular lawyer, probably doesn't isn't busy in the courtroom, you know, because that's time he could be making 10 TikToks a day or a reel a day on Instagram. And so we've seen this shift to where the most popular fitness people right now, I know of one of them on TikTok, I don't think he's ever trained anyone in real life, ever. How scary is that? You've never actually trained anyone. I don't know if he has a degree or a certification. None of those things matter now. What matters is how good you are with your camera and how entertaining you can be. And this is very dangerous because entertainment, if you let the population, you let the people determine, if you make it, the algorithms based on entertainment alone, they will choose entertaining things are dramatic, black or white. They don't embrace the way of funny. They don't embrace the gray area. It's not going to be scientific. People don't want to delve into the science. They want something quick. But I saw a reel the other day where this guy comes on. He looks like he's like some 19-year-old kid. And he's like, you've been lied to. You've been told that alcohol like impedes your gains in the gym. And a new study came out showing that drinking alcohol before a workout actually increases protein synthesis because it increases delivery. There's no study showing that. He made it up. And all the comments were like, hell yeah, I'm going to get bombed next workout. This is what happens when you let the people choose because that's entertaining. They want to know. These younger generation would be thrilled to know that drinking six beers before their workout will increase their growth. He made up the study. It doesn't exist. I tested that theory, folks. It don't work. I tested it for a long time. Don't work. I didn't get more fit. You don't have a good workout. (laughs) But nowadays, you you can reference a study. No one even says like, hey, this study doesn't really exist. This is... Because it's if, if you just let entertainment control, then it becomes the pseudoscientists have the advantage, the, the, not the real scientists. And all my friends who are the top experts in the field, the PhDs, the people who have been doing it the longest, A, they're, they're busy either conducting studies or like publishing studies, or they're busy training people they're busy working with. They're not the best at making reels. They're not the most entertaining. So this advantage goes to the, the advantage goes to the person who literally lives in his mom's basement sits at home and just has all the time in the world to be a copycat and copy what all the trends are doing and make videos. And that's who now have the most followers and they're being looked at as the most credible people in the field. And I'm not into conspiracy theories at all, but someone told me that I want to look into this because if this is true, it's not good. Someone told me that in China, the Chinese TikTok rewards education. And in support of that, I remember when I joined Weibo, my friend Angela is Chinese. She got me on Weibo. She just handles that account. But they verified me right away because they had me send in my PhD diploma and like my patent and stuff. They checked me out and they said, oh, we want this guy on our platform. We're going to verify him right away. We want people like this on our platform. But I heard that's how the Chinese TikTok is geared towards education, but they make the American based on entertainment. Well, carry that over 10 years. That's going to have some effects where these people are going to get smarter and these people are going to get dumber. That's something we need to think about as a society. Are we, do we just let the social media companies run the algorithms in however manner they want? Because pseudoscience is entertaining. Think about if I didn't have a conscience, oh my God, I could just sit there and be like, guys, I've got this 
electric shocker machine and you hook it up to your glutes and it's going to research shows that this is equal to a thousand squats. You wear this for five minutes, it's going to build your glutes. You know what I mean? And I think about how easy would it be if you just make up what, and who do you think the best people at pseudoscience would be the best people who are the actual scientists would be the best at pseudoscience if we sold our soul to the devil. I think about all of this short form content, which don't get me wrong, is how I actually built whatever small brand I have today was on short form content. And it wasn't intentional. A brand asked me to do it and I did it. And then I became intentional about it. And now I'm being more so that way. But it just kind of just like fell into it because the algorithm got friendly, you know. And at that time, I was just making people laugh. And it was fun. But anyway, I do understand that like with all of that, the short form content is so heavily promoted. It's what people are consuming. Our attention spans are getting smaller and smaller. So therefore, you've got this consumer that consumes this thing that this person says, whatever pseudoscience thing, the odds of the consumer taking the time to actually click on the account of whoever just made the content and see who that person is and what credibility they have to be making these claims is like non-existent. And I'm not even saying that as an attack at a human. Like, I personally rarely take the time. I've existed in the fitness space for long enough, but I mean, you could apply that to other things and I'm sure I do it all the time. But anyway, so then for you, since this is, you have a bone to pick with this, you need to find a way to get along with this to continue to conduct business. And then you also educating the consumer. Like what would you say to the consumer who's going on Instagram, going on TikTok, looking for fitness motivation content, looking for a trainer online, whatever, like, what advice would you give them to who to look to and what kind of homework to do and hopefully brief because we just have shit attention spans? I don't know anymore. That's the crazy <laughs> thing. I used to be able yeah. to tell. Look at the results that they're getting people. Well, right. Take that. So like three years ago, I spoke for the NSCA national conference and it was the title of my, usually I speak about glutes or something with biomechanics. But this time they asked me to talk about social media and it was like a thousand followers a day and counting. And I was the best. I was amazing at it. I was going up 1200 followers a day for a couple years and I was the man and now I suck. It's like a couple years later, I suck at social media. I don't move barely at all. And it's changed. It's passed me by. And I hope that it comes back to the actual experts, people who have, you know, like you'll get me, I've been training people for 26 years. I've been lifting for 31 years. I've had my CSCS since my early 20s. I have published 50 plus journal articles. I have my PhD, my CSCS with distinction. I've spoken at over 80 inter international invited conferences. And I have the credentials and these people who can become more popular than me because they literally sit at home and just copycat and make reels and no one credits anyone anymore. And they just pretend like they came up with it. We used to have a strong, we always credited. You did a goblet squat. You give a shout out to Dan John. That's I was going to say, part. I definitely reference you regularly with all this glute stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, just... so I'm pulling inspiration directly from you just because you're the expert. Like, why am I going to go to try and reinvent the wheel when you've literally successfully repeatedly done this? I'm going to, and have my own fun with it to some degree, but like respect the fact that you've gotten results for people for a long time. But, but hear me out here. This is a crazy, so... I remember a few years ago, I went back and I, you know, you have your archive. I counted a three day period and I was getting tagged an average of 22 times a day by women showing off their glute progress and being like, check this out. Oh my God, Brett Contreras is amazing. I'm doing his program. Now it's more like one or two a day because all those people will do my programs. And then they got an uncle that goes, you should be, oh my God, you got a nice glutes. You should be selling your own glute. Pro you should be a glute expert. You should be selling your own glute program. 
So they just take my program, make it their own, some of them my exact program, you know what I mean? And then they position themselves as this expert and then they never tag me again and look at my glute program. That's just the way of the world. Everyone wants to be making an extra buck, a side hustle job. Everyone, you know, you do one show, you do one show and now you're a bikini coach and a posing coach and you've sure. done really one show, but it's just the way the world's changing. It's, it's great in a lot of ways because back when I was like a teenager, what would you do for a side hustle? Be a paper, be like the newspaper delivery boy in the morning, mow some lawns, try to house sit like or babysit or something. But it was really hard. You'd have to go door to door and like find business. Now you just put a link tree on your social media and link to yeah. a PayPal account or Venmo or something and boom, you're in business. So it's a good in a lot of ways, but it's also, in my opinion, we need to have laws about the algorithms or to say, look, it's got to be either chronological order because we all did well, all of us. And think about this, Claire, maybe you weren't around in 2020. We all did very well, every one of us. And yeah. Facebook made 36 billion that year profits. We all did very well when it was chronological order and it was fair. It's fair then. I understand. Like right yeah. now, I feel like it's not fair. It's not a fair, it's not a level playing field because like, I think I have this theory that, and how would I prove this? Ever since that Francis, whatever her name was, came out and blew the whistle on Meta, basically like they basically, she accused, she blew the whistle saying Meta, or this was the week before they had changed the name to Meta. It was still Facebook back then, but Facebook okay. is ignoring warning signs that it's harmful to younger women's mental health because of all the emphasis on body is creating dysmorphia and all these things. It's ruining their mental health. And ever since all the glute experts don't go up that much anymore, you can go look at all the glute people, myself included, and we quit going up. I think they, I don't know if the word would be shadow ban, but they deny shadow banning, but it exists. But I think that they can control what industries go up and which ones don't. And if that's true, how egregious is that? That you've basically shack, put a shackle and chain around me and I couldn't go up even if I hired the greatest content team because of my niche. You should have the obligation to tell people your niche isn't going to do good. Otherwise, we're spinning our wheels, wasting our time. And I just think that how would you ever know what they're doing when they, we, you know, so anyway, I think we need laws where you either have to make it chronological order or publish your algorithms and fair. say, here's what we're doing so that you can read them and learn and people can interpret them and say, here, if you're into this, that way, you know, you're not spinning your wheels or, you know, you don't just, you got so many people going out of business, so many lives being affected because they were doing good in 2020. And now they had to, the social media has no regard for human livelihoods and businesses and small businesses. And it just, they almost have an obligation to their shareholders and things like that to, to chase the money to chase the trends, to have, to evolve in the way that's going to make their company the most money possible. But often that leaves people in the dust, but I would argue that social media is too important now. It's like a, almost you look at like oil and gas and education and the postal service. Like we, certain things are so important that we can't just leave it in the hands of greedy greedy in the hands of greedy few who will do anything. They don't care about the people to where it's not fair. You ever have your account hacked into? You're lucky to get an answer out of Facebook. You go a month without having your, that's, that's your for some businesses. And it's like, you're making so many billions of dollars and you don't even hire customer service people to respond. Yeah. That's really sad for a lot of people. And, and it's sad also that, oh, well, if you have an in, you can get a hold of them. But if you're a small timer and you don't have an in, 
you just wait and you have no way of knowing when they're going to get to it. If your account will ever be restored or not. Yeah, that's tough. That part I can't even speak to. I don't have good education on it and it's just unfortunate. I think so I can't even really give anything constructive there at all, which as much as I'd love to. But I do think that when it comes to like knowing that trends exist, knowing that these whatever, you know, so the way that I view it is like I try to pay enough attention to like, and I'm not an expert on this by any means, but the way that I view it as far as like whenever things got real popular earlier this year for me or whatever is like, okay, so then you utilize the trend to your advantage, try to have fun with it, be authentic, be you. But then if it's funny, short form seems to be resonating well, then like I can capture you in this way. And then I can create all of this meaningful content that matters to me. And this was fine and fun. So that's okay. And then now I've got you. And so now we can talk about real shit. So for you, it's now we can talk about what your actual purpose is. So that's how I I feel like I try to create this more positive relationship with it. I agree with what you said in principle, but how do you said now you got them? How do you have them? How do you have them? They're coming to your podcast weekly. They know to log on because then you're sending a newsletter out to them. How do you have them? I don't know how you have them because you post something on this. You post something on your Instagram about this, a little excerpt, and it's not that entertaining and it gets a hundred views. You know what I mean? And But it's like it's always dependent on, I don't even post half this stuff, updates that I would normally give. So how do you have them? You nab them, you pull them in and then because they're not seeing your stuff. I have so many people like, Brett, your stuff doesn't come up anymore. Right. It's just dependent on your, mm -hmm. yeah. It's tough. It's tough. I don't know how you nab people. It's like, and you said, how do you discern? How do you, what advice do you have for people to tell them, here's who you should follow? How do you even know? I don't know. I don't even know anymore. It's uh, a, I used to be like, follow these people. Do the best you can to follow people that actually like something about what they're doing resonates with you. Hopefully they inspire you in some way. And you don't walk away from the interaction through your phone feeling like shit. I mean, that's like largely what I think about when I'm cultivating my experiences online is like, is this a positive experience? And if it's not, like life is too short and too precious to be messing around with all that. And so I have absolutely no problem unfollowing and muting and doing everything like that because it's just we spend too much time there to let it be a dangerous place. And so well, it requires a lot of effort. Like, but. People who follow like 4,000 people, I'm like, well, I, I try to You're follow. You're not seeing any of it anyway. <laughs> well, I try to like 200 250 tops, but I actually try to see their stuff. Like at the end of the night, I try to log on and support my people, stay current with their lives. But yeah, I it's love a, that. It's a very different world these days. And I hope it, I hope I see this. I hope I live long enough to see the pendulum swing back. It has to, right? Like I when think experts, you will. experts and not just people who have so much time on their hands to copy trends and make, imagine where the, the top experts in every field are the, the best filmmakers. Like if you just are like a little cinematographer, you're this doing your great. Season. You can make these funny reels and so, or you're, if you're just naturally funny, naturally entertaining, you're a good dancer, a good whatever, like you can, a comedian, like you've got a leg up and that gives you more credibility than actually having any certification or diploma or education or actual results with clients. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think that, yeah, I, I totally understand your bone to pick with it. And I feel sorry because you are totally the nerd. So you're, you have the me. education. I, I feel sorry for my, cause I'm still doing very well. Right. I see the writing on the wall and I'm like, how long will I be doing well as if this continues? What I do feel sorry for is my colleagues. Yeah. Why would any scientist, why would any legit scientist ever be on social media? Think about it. Why would any PhD ever waste his time on social media? He makes a scientific post. It doesn't get seen by anyone. 
He'll be cautious with his claims. He'll embrace the gray area. It won't be black and white. But then some person will come on, like 10 people will come on to his post and bash him and be like, LMFAO, you're an idiot. This guy said this. This guy says this. And then his army will come after you. And you'd be a PhD be going, oh my God, the level of comments are so stupid and beneath me. And I didn't even get good engagement. And I'm just getting criticized. This is not worth my time. I'm getting off this platform immediately. And it didn't used to be like that. They used to reward. You wanted educated people to be on. I don't see social media doing anything to reward the actually educated people to be on and stay on. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask some other, I'm going to pivot us again. So what advice would you give to not with social media, but just for fitness trainers today? Like if you could give any like one relatively concise piece of advice to someone who wants to be viewed as a professional within the fitness space, what would you say to that person? Well, you can never predict the trends, right? Like right now we've spent half this podcast talking about the trends and in two years, this could be outdated. Maybe things are totally two years from now and we're like, oh man, that's, that was a weird time. You can never predict those trends, but what you can focus on is your actual expertise. Your expertise is a pie chart. Okay. One third of that pie chart is going to be you working out training yourself. You learn so much when you're in the gym. I learned, this is my third decade of lifting. I learned so much every time I go and work out. Another third comes from training other people. You realize, oh my God, this person's body's unique. This person doesn't feel every exercise the way I do. This person can handle more volume than me or less, or I need to program differently. And people are very different. You need to train people from all walks of life. And then the remaining third comes from reading, listening to podcasts, going to seminars, talking shop with colleagues. And that's your pie chart. So focus on actual expertise, not smoke and mirrors. You know, actually try to be an expert, not appear to be an expert. I love that. And it is one of my friends makes fun of me for this phrase, but I love it is like, you cannot transmit what you don't have. And so they get hung up on the transmit part. But I do think about that as far as like me training my own self is so relevant to the fact that like I'm testing all the time. I'm testing everything, seeing how this feels. Like if I were not training myself, I just don't know how I would effectively train my client. And so obviously things like injuries and things like there are different seasons, but testing on others, testing on yourself, like it's all just, I love the different pieces of that chart. And then obviously the education piece. I love that. Okay. So what does your training and diet look like today? Okay. So actually, I'm glad you asked me right now because I'm actually on a good path. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not having a good diet, but I've been eating well. I've lost 25 pounds recently. So my congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. My training is basically four days. Okay. And I probably train six days a week. Okay. So day one is legs. I don't focus as much on glutes. I focus on quads and hammies. I typically do squats and deads, maybe a leg press, maybe a leg curl, but basically it's legs. All right. Then day two is upper body, but I'll do like an upper body press and upper body pull like bench press and chin-ups, maybe throw in a row, but then I'm going to focus on delt work afterwards. Like I'm going to do mostly delt stuff, mainly like type of lateral raise, a type of rear delt movement. And then the next day is glutes. I typically do hip thrusts and I'll train adductors that day too, like seated hip adduction. I'll choose abduction too, seated or standing cable hip abduction. That day, my glutes pumped up, but I don't get annihilated like I do from the other leg day. And the next day is upper body again, but I'll do an upper body press and pull. You know, it might be pause close grip bench this time. It might be heavy pull downs instead of chin ups. Then I do focus on arms. 
not delts. So I'll do some, you know, biceps and triceps exercises. And then every once in a while, I'll take a day off. Lately, I haven't done forearms in ages. I've been doing wrist curls and wrist extensions again. I've been doing calf raises again. I even started doing some abs again. I hadn't done those in years, but I'm trying to get my best physique possible. So I'm throwing in those extra things. And I might take a day off here and there, but I manage my effort and volume based on how I'm feeling. All right. My diet usually is like mostly processed foods. That's how I lived most of my life. I got most of my protein through whey protein shakes and milk and dairy and yogurts and eggs. And I cut a lot of that out. So anytime you eliminate foods, I lost a lot of weight because I'm not allowed to eat anything. I'd open my cabinet. And I'd be like, "Ugh, what can I eat? And then I just shut it. Also, if you're eating fish and rice, it's like chicken. You eat a lot of it. You're going, oh, I'm not even finish this. Sure. You can't eat that much. It's not as tasty, you know, as eating ice cream is. You can eat way more ice cream because it's so tasty. So I've eliminated a lot of foods because of I was having like poor digestion and symptoms and stuff with food intolerances. And so now I found I can incorporate some of those foods back. It makes getting your protein, God. When you eliminate dairy and eggs, and I eliminate beef too, because I have an intolerance on dairy, eggs, beef, peanuts, almonds, eggs. So it's like, okay, I'd have shrimp. And this was through blood work? Yeah, uh, through blood work. But I almost feel like it's the foods you eat the most that you're most intolerant to. So those were like the foods I was eating the most of. So I cut them out. But you just, any diet is based on rules that prevent you from eating as like they create restrictions on you. That's what every diet does. That's why you lose weight. So I lost well, 25 pounds by being real strict. And then you learn how to cheat on that diet. You learn, oh, I can have, I can have dairy, but I can have, I can have oat milk. I can have uh, coconut yogurts and there's no protein in those. They're tasty. They taste great, but it's all carbs and yeah. fat. And now your macros are skewed. So, but you're a full grown man. You need a good bit of carbs and fats. So that's nice. I've always been able to get away with murder. I could always eat 6,000 calories a day. I had a belly, but I was had these huge shoulders and legs and I looked good with clothes on, but then I clothes off. I didn't look so good. So now it's getting to where I don't look as good with clothes on, but I look better with clothes off, which is nice. And there's a happy medium there because you get so lean, you get so lean to a point where great, you look good naked. And then with clothes on, you look like you don't even lift. Things are baggy on you. It gets to you when you're used to being a big guy. So there's a sweet spot where for me, I'm 6'4". I like to be around 225 to 240. Those That's kind of my range, you know? Yeah, you're tall. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't think you were short, but 6'4 is tall. Okay. Whenever people meet me, they're like, oh my God, you're way taller than I thought. Yeah. You can't tell on social media, so. Yeah. I mean, you can all look short by any means, but 6'4 is just really tall. And I think it's cool with diet too. I mean, what you're speaking to here is just that like it changes over time and that's okay. So from my perspective, I try to do more or less processed stuff. But yeah, I mean, we're humans that have to exist in this world and eat things, right? And so the less processed that it can be, the better I'm probably going to feel after I eat it. And that's one of the things like being in the space that I'm in, if I would eat more and do less volume, I'd get stronger. But like, I love the way that I feel. So I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. I mean, I'm pretty strong. Like maybe two years from now, that's my focus. And then I do that, you know? But for now, I like to move a lot. So whatever. Most of the world needs to train do harder, <laughs> do more. But then those of us who are obsessed, we do too much and we need to cut back and we need not go to failure as much. And we have different rules than these people. Yes. Yeah. It's funny with my dad, actually, as I recently took this position at this uh, social performance club here in Austin, Texas, which is just so cool. And it's 
feels like such an honor to get to be a part of that ecosystem. And so I'm talking to my dad and I'm like, it's just so crazy that they're, that I get to be here. You know, and he's like, sweetie, because I'm like, I didn't play sports and I'm still the novice. And he's like, you like to eat shit. So uh, <laughs> that's why they like you. <laughs> You're just, they're just a little different. Most people get paid for that stuff. You just like it. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So what is something that you feel that you are doing well that you would like to do better or do more of? Well, social media, like I'm proud of my posts, but I know I could do better. I see what other people do and I'm like, God, how are they animating their stuff? How are they creating these graphics? How are they doing this? I need to find someone to help me with that. But it's always hard finding good people to help with your social media who are quick and timely. But I see the quality of posts have gone up so much. Infographics don't do that well anymore. So people are, their reels are animated and very educational. They've got the muscle highlighted. I need to step it up in that regard. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later too then if you'd like. Not that I have whatever, but I know some people who could probably help. <laughs> Definitely, we got to grab them. Okay, so what are three things that you are grateful for today? Good question. Okay, I am grateful for that I came in at the right time. I entered the industry, like, in, like I said, in that T-Nation era where back in 2009-ish, that's when I started writing for them. That's Everyone read that site. I meet people to this day that are like, dude, I read all your stuff on T-Nation. It was before this. And then I listened to my twin brother. He was like, Instagram's the way of the future. I'm like, how? You can't link anything. I like Twitter. You can link. I like Facebook. You can link. YouTube, you can link something in, in the in caption. But like Instagram, you can't link. And he's like, trust me, it's the way of the future. And I just got sick of Facebook back then, did their algorithm thing. I was one of the few coaches back then. I had 100,000 followers. And then they went to, they ruined Facebook, just like they ruined Instagram. Now it's like, I would make a post and it would get one tenth of the likes and shares. And I'm like, screw this. I'm jumping full ship. I just did a full jump to Instagram and then Instagram bought out them. And I was so mad because to me, it's a monopoly. <laughs> you shouldn't, they shouldn't have let that happen. So I knew that Instagram would become like that. That's why I worked so hard because I'm like, they're going to do what they did to Facebook. They'll let it be cool for like five, six more years and then they'll change it. But anyway, I'm grateful because I listened to my twin and I started in an era where I'm credible, I'm popular, just the right amount of popularity. I'm not a celebrity where I go outside and everyone's like, oh my God, Brett Contreras, that's the glute guy, let's mob him. But I do get recognized by like, especially in certain, like whenever I go to Florida, everywhere I go, at least one person is like, oh my God, you're Brett Contreras. And I love that. Yeah. It makes me feel, people are like, God, doesn't that get old? And I'm like, no, I love it. It's just the right, it would get old if it was all the time, but it's just the right amount to make you feel like you're doing something good. Meaningful. And I'm grateful that I do well financially because I never cared about the money. I don't buy the fancy clothes, the nice cars, but I do like spoiling people. And I do like helping my family out. I like helping my clients out, my squad, taking them to the dinner. Like my grandpa always paid for the, you know, my parents and grandparents always paid for the dinner. I can tend people out. We can go to the nicest steakhouse. I'm going to cover the dinner. I like doing that. So I'm grateful for that. And then I'm also grateful for being able to train full body. Whenever something's injured, you're like, God, how bad, like how bad would it suck to have, I always no, try to, like, it could always be worse. Yeah. It could always be worse. And you could not have the ability to train all the movements and all the muscles. And I just love the fact that no matter what, I always have the gym. That's my sanctuary, my, my, place where I love. It's my healthy hobby that I do every day. And I love my gym time. So I get to have that every day. And that's your stress reliever. The rest of the world could be going to hell. But if you set a PR, you had a good day. 
That's so true. Yeah. I love that. I especially love your second one there just as far as like, I think it's really cool because that's a side of you that I don't feel like people get access to much is like that softer side that actually is clearly, and I'm sure the people in your life really do get access to that regularly, but I don't know that the masses get so much access to it. So I just love that little touch on it to be like, Hey, it's there. He's actually a sweetie. I mean, there's no way that you would build a brand that you are. Like, that's one of the interesting things is I've come into the space and gotten the opportunity to be around more people who have built significant brands. And if you spend any time with them, you're like, these are good people. Like consistently, I'm just like, okay, you're like, you're a good person, you know? So I'm glad we did I have that. my flaws, but I'm one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And it's, then you live long enough in this world. Like when I was a teacher, I'd get so annoyed at these rich parents that spoil their kids. I'm like, you're ruining your kids. And then now I sit there and I go, I spoil my squad. You're like ruining your friends. I'm grateful enough. I'm, great. I'm doing the same thing. I'm, yeah. I'm doing uh, good or harm in their lives by helping them out too much. But anyway, oh yeah, you gosh. live long enough in this world, eat crow and realize that, you know, you learn forgiveness because you realize we're all so flawed and we make mistakes and we do the best we can. Gosh, yeah, I know the truth. There was nothing like me getting sober to make me recognize that everybody else was human too. And I should probably just go ahead and give them that space. Okay. So three things that I'm grateful for. One, it is November 1st today. So then I am thinking about Thanksgiving and I am thinking about how excited I am that whatever is on that table, I'm going to eat it. And that I'm in a place today where I have a good relationship with food, where I can still take care of myself and eat nutrient dense, less processed foods most of the time and be healthy and happy. And I can go to Thanksgiving and not bring my own meal. And everybody has a different journey. And if that's where you're at today, that's perfectly okay. I've done it, you know, but I'm excited. I completely said no to food for so many different foods for like a decade. And so that length of time, whenever you get to a place where you can eat the casserole and you don't feel like you're going to die, like that's like exciting. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a trainer in real life today. I didn't know that I wanted to do this. And it is such a gift to be able to progress people through movements and help them get better. There's something beautiful about that. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to do it. And the third thing that I'm grateful for is connection that we get to make through social media. You and I are now friends, whether you like it or not. (laughs) And it is because of social media. And so I appreciate the fact that as much as it has its plethora of messiness, it still has all these beautiful pieces that make it worthwhile to exist there. So we'll just keep showing up, I guess. Yep. Good points. I liked your three things. Thank you. Okay. Is there anything else you want to tell people? Personal trainer, more so than maybe almost any other, maybe a teacher, maybe a therapist, but yeah, we have this ability to change people's lives almost arguably more than anyone. You empower them. You get them to change their whole lives around and you witness these transformations and you're like, wow, they're so grateful to have me in their life. And I was able to affect so much positive change, not just through teaching them strength training and helping them be strong and fit and take care of their health and their physiques, but also by motivating them and being there and walking the walk by not letting them get an out too easily, pushing them and expecting up having high expectations. And then you strengthen their character too. And they don't ever forget that. Yeah. And I think that one of the things I think about is like you give them the opportunity to borrow your belief in them until they can develop it themselves. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing that like I got to borrow belief of others in me because I didn't have it for many years. And I just was like, I'm not an athlete. I'll never be. And the right people for long enough were like, but why? And eventually I started to believe them and they were coaches. And so now I get the opportunity to be that person that gets to remind the people that I'm coaching, like, no, you are beyond capable. And eventually like they buy it and then they start doing really cool shit. 
<laughs> just having a job that cool, you make money, but there's no intrinsic value. Right. This profession, the intrinsic reward is through the roof. You develop friendships and like my social circle, my squad is my, some of my best friends. Yeah. What do you refer to them as that are calling you right now? The glue squad. I call them the glue squad. It's like 30 of my clients and we hang out together. We, they come stay the night all the time here in my Las Vegas house. We've gone to, on trips together. We went to Miami, we went to Tulum, but we're all, they're all my best friends. They don't all love each other that much, but they were part of a team and we, we push each other. Like we start doing strong lifting. It's a sport that I kind of made up with like squats, bench, deadlifts, but also so that's powerlifting, but with also hip thrust, chin-ups and military press. And God, they got so strong during the 2020, 2021, the pandemic really like people had not, nothing else to do. They were training three hours a day. We got so strong. Is this largely women? Yeah. Only a couple yeah. men, mostly all so women. Then I just love that too, because I know how empowering it is to be strong as a woman, like to be able to get strong is empowering. You have men in the gym, it distracts. It's like, they don't feel, I want to allow like their boyfriends to come and stuff. But then if you allow too much of that, it's not. So it's mostly just glute lab was my female competitors. And then they feel safe in there. And then they're so funny. They joke around, they're hilarious, but they're comfortable doing that, being goofy, but they got so strong in the process. And it ended up motivating people from all around the world. That's what I think is so cool. People, we see them on the streets. They're like, oh, I recognize you. You're a part of the glute squad. And God, I watch all your stuff. I'm a, a big fan. And you've motivated me to step it up and get stronger. I love that. Okay. So where can the people find you, support you, follow you? Where are you at? Well, Instagram, if you forget my name, Brett Contreras, I'm the glute guy. And I have a blog, but I don't blog as much anymore. So Instagram is the main thing. I should be doing TikTok, but I'm not doing it that much. But Instagram has the link tree to all my stuff. Like if you want to check out my programs, my equipment, et cetera. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. And guys, that'll be in the show notes. And so you'll just be able to go down to the show notes and click the links to find him on socials. And like he said, that link tree has access to all of his programming and all of those different things. So if you want more access. And the content that he posts on Instagram, by the way, is really good. So go follow as well. Cause like his feed is valuable. So, okay. Other than that, if you won, Brett, thank you. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having it is me. Valuable. It. Good questions too. Okay. I'm relatively new at this. So we're trying. <laughs> okay. So if you got something of value out of this episode, I would so appreciate it. If you would take the time to follow the show, wherever you're consuming it, to rate and review it and share it with somebody. If you feel like somebody in your life will be positively impacted in some way by this episode, I encourage you to share it with them. And other than that, we just hope that you have a beautiful day.